0: Well, we are here gathered... Oh, go ahead and please be seated. And uh, for many of you, as Nathan was talking about, it might be your first or one of your first uh, Ash Wednesdays. And for a lot of people, they think, oh, this is a Catholic thing, right? And it's not a Catholic thing. It's a, it's a worship thing. It's the start of the Lent season. Lent goes for 40 days. And so we will for the next six weeks be in this Lent That will start today on Ash Wednesday and lead us to Easter Sunday. And so right here in the bulletin, I have an explanation for you of Lent and Ash Wednesday. It says, Dear people of God, the first Christians observe with great devotion the days of our Lord's Passion and Resurrection. Passion being the week leading up to Easter, which is the Resurrection Sunday. It became the custom of the church to prepare for Easter by a season of penitence fasting, and prayer. The season of 40 days provided a time in which converts to the faith were prepared for baptism into the body of Christ. There's also a time when persons who had committed serious sins and had been separated from the community of faith were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness and restored to the fellowship of the church. The whole congregation is thus reminded of the mercy and forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need we all have to renew our baptismal faith. I invite you, in the name of the Lord, to observe this Lent season by self-examination, prayer, and repentance. Come now, let us worship.
1: For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land.
2: After John's arrest, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God saying, the time has come at last, God's reign has arrived. You must change your hearts and minds and believe the good news. We must change our hearts and minds. While he was walking by the lake of Galilee, Jesus
1: saw two brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew, casting their large net into the water. They were fishermen, so Jesus said to them, follow me and I will teach you to be fishers of humanity. At once they left their nets and
2: followed. And Jesus calls and we follow. At least we try to follow. Trouble is, he's always out ahead of us moving faster than we do. Lent is a time for deciding to follow Jesus. A time for returning
1: to his path.
2: Tonight, we can lay down some of the heavy load we carry. Tonight, we can fall again under the spell of Jesus' love. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from
1: the mountain, they confronted Aaron and said to him, Come, make us God to go ahead of us. Aaron answered them, Take your gold and bring it to me. He took it out of their hands and cast the metal in a mold and made it into the image of a bull calf.
2: From time before time, this has been our way. We sense the living spirit, but can hardly let it work its way before we try to capture and control it and flesh it and entomb it. We want things predictable and safe, but too much safety kills. Jesus knew this. We must be born from water and spirit. Flesh can give birth only to flesh. It is the spirit that gives birth to the spirit. The wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So with everyone who is born from spirit.
1: For for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you.
0: Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in this time. We thank you that you are ever present with us, ever challenging us, ever bringing your word to us so that we might think about it, we might reflect upon it, we might move forward because of it. And so we ask that this sermon time, this word that is given in this time would lift us up all the more into your presence to reflect upon what you have for us as we consider the commandment that Jesus gave to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind And soul and strength. And so bless us tonight, Lord, as we consider what it means to love Jesus with our heart. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. So, this is going to be a four week series. And over this four week series, we're going to talk about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And tonight, we're going to start about the heart. One of the things that little kids love to do is to wear their parents' shoes, yes? Doesn't matter how big those shoes are, they love to put their feet in the shoes and walk around in their parents' shoes. Why? Why do they do that? Because they are trying to be like their parents. They want to be big like their parents. They want to be the person their parent is. And so they try to walk in their shoes, walk in their footsteps. We, too, want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. But to do this, we need to make sure that we do not dilute the truths of Christianity. To do this, we need to get back to the basics about what faith is, the essence of the Christian faith. That is what I want us to think about during this Lent season stripping away the superficialities of faith and getting back to what is primary. We need to get back to the faith we once had before we were too busy, before we got too much into being a Christian, when it was still fresh and new and exciting, before we got too jaded or too concerned with other things. Now think for a moment about a prime number. A prime number is a number that is divisible by one and itself, only by one and itself. There are many prime numbers, but the only even prime number is two. The number two is an only prime number. Now, there are certain truths that are considered foundational or prime truths. As Christians, we might disagree on some certain doctrinal issues, but there is a chief truth that we must all agree on, a truth that Jesus called the great commandment. You know it well, right? I've said it already tonight. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I love how this is going to work out because when we get to strength, it's going to be on Good Friday when Jesus gave the last ounce of his strength for us. We as Christians tend to complicate the Christian faith. I want us to look at how to simplify it so that we can truly live our lives for God. I want us to be able to know how God wants us to live. I want us to be able to understand Christianity in its simplest form so that we might grow in our spiritual maturity. Now when I say this, I don't mean just for us as individual Christians. I mean for us as a church. Our society has got too much into Individualism in our Christian faith. We need to get back to community, back to what it means to be Christians in a community. One problem that has risen in our society is that we have moved from that community to individualism. You might hear a lot of people say, I don't need the church, or I don't need to go to church. That's not true. God designed the church that we would be part of a community, part of a body, part of accountability in our lives. We have lost what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We need to understand how loving God with all of our being is not just an individual act, but an act of the church, an act of the body of Christ. We need to understand how being connected to the body of Christ helps us to love God more fully. So over this Lent season, every other week, we are going to look at the heart of Christianity. The prime truths Of Christianity at its prime Christianity is about compassion the soul of Christianity is about wonder the mind of Christianity is about curiosity and the strength of curiosity is about energy but tonight we start with the heart what we need to understand is that God loves us this sounds so basic God loves you God loves me God loves us it sounds so basic because it is basic God loves us but is also powerful and profound and life-changing. When we fully comprehend what that means, it is life-changing. Because God loves you, He sent His Son to die for your sins so that you could love Him back. Let me say that again. God loves you so much that God has sent His Son for you so that you could love Him back. See, without God sending His Son, without Christ dying for us, we could not love God back. We would be lost in our sin, unable to. To love God back. As you experience the love of God, you are then able to love Him, which ultimately leads you, leads us to love others. As God's love pours into our lives, He tends to break our heart as His heart is broken. He does this by giving us a heart of compassion. If and when you truly love God, you begin to love the things that God loves. Does your heart break for the things that breaks God's heart? As you let the Holy Spirit loose in your life, He will break your heart for the same things that break the heart of God. If and when we have intimate times with God, God will meet us and lead us to do the work He wants done. When we become Christians, it is like we receive a heart transplant. Our heart of sin and selfishness is replaced with a heart of love and compassion. If you were to talk to a heart surgeon, you would hear them say this about heart transplants. They would tell you that it is a very reverent thing. They place a new heart into a patient. They graft it into the body and then they wait. They wait for it to start beating. I mean, imagine being that doctor and putting that heart into a body of a person and you'll hook it all up, and then you wait. You wait to see if that body will receive that new heart and start beating. At the point of waiting, a doctor will tell you that it moves from the surgical to the spiritual. It is a miraculous moment when the heart beats in that new body. For the first time. When heart transplant recipients were interviewed, they talked about their their profound appreciation for life. They speak of it in reverent tones. They have a second chance at life. They feel like they need to honor the donor by living a life well. We too, when we receive our spiritual new heart and it starts to beat, we need to see that as a miracle. We have a second chance at life. We have a chance to live a life that makes a difference. We have a chance to impact the world for eternal purposes. We have the opportunity to live with a purpose. In Ezekiel 36, we see God's people have turned away from him. Because of this, they have suffered hardship at the hands of others. And in verse 26, it says, God is talking to his people and he says, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What powerful words they are. For these words remind us of God's love for us. And He loves us so much that He wants to give us a new heart, a heart that cares more for God than for ourselves a heart that moves past our sin and into the realm of righteousness. We should be praying every day that God blesses this new heart that we have. We should commit this new heart to God and say, God, thank you for this gift, this gift of this day to live for you, this gift of this heart that has been transformed by you. Thank you, Jesus, for this new heart. As I said before, the moment You and I gave our heart to Christ. It was a miraculous experience. You and I have become children of God, adopted into the family of God. As we heard in Romans 8, 14 and 17, I'm going to read it again. So really listen to these words, thinking about what it means to be adopted into the family of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The beauty of this heart transplant is that when we give our heart to Christ, he gives his heart to us. This new heart gives us a deeper appreciation for life. This new heart gives us the ability to experience love more deeply and to love more deeply. This new heart allows us to see the myriad of possibilities of how you and I can love God and love others. Too often in our Western culture, we tend to engage the world around us mind-first instead of heart-first. But the heart of God leads us to live with compassion with a heart-first mentality. So we give our heart to Christ, but we must give it all to Christ. If you only give a portion of your heart to Christ, then you will not be able to live out this first great commandment. As we see the love of Christ on Calvary, the compassion he showed us, this becomes the driving force of our living and our loving. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Think about if you're a heart patient, and you say, just give me a third of that new heart, please. Or just give me half of that new heart. Try to graft my old heart that doesn't work with the heart that does work. I mean, that's ridiculous, and it would never work. And yet we try to think we can do that in our spiritual lives. I'll give you half my heart, and you give me half your heart, and we'll try to make that work, right? And it's ridiculous, but that's how often we try to to live. See, one of the problems we face with having compassion is that we get so numb to the world around us. Isn't that true? I mean, there's so much hurt and so much heartache and so much pain and so much sin and so much terribleness in our world that we get so overwhelmed by all that we see, we almost shut down. We just don't want to see it. We don't want to hear about it. We don't want to encounter it. There's issues of poverty and disease and illiteracy and hunger and sex slave and homelessness, and on and on and on it goes. And we just shut down. We just close our eyes, we turn our heads, we just don't want to deal with it. We can't care for everyone, we can't fix anything, really. We can't take care of all the needs of the world, right? Have you ever seen that? I mean, you look at all the things around you you're like, there's so much, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what to do. I mean, there's just too much. I can't, I can't do anything. And so we shut down because there's too many problems. But we have to ask the question, are we okay with this? And I don't think any of us is okay with any of these problems that exist in our world. We just are overwhelmed by them. When we have the heart of Jesus, we can't be okay with them. The challenge is that these, pro- these are problems without a face, right? But God knows the names of each person who is struggling and suffering and in need. And if and when we have faces, we add faces to the problem, we then begin to care. And we begin to ask, what can I do about it? When I go to Mexico and I see the faces of these kids in this orphanage and put these faces and these names to the problem, then i like, okay, I can do something here. When when you get involved with a foster child and you have a face and a name, all of a sudden now I'm making a difference. I'm taking a step towards this problem. When you put a face and a name to the problem, then you begin to at least be drawn in and do something. And every little something we do is meaningful. There's something called the emotional intelligence. Daniel Goleman wrote a book about this. He asserts that the IQ accounts for only 20% of the factors that lead people to career success. You know, we think, oh, a high IQ will do a lot, right? Only 20% of success. Goleman argues that the emotional intelligence, or what he calls EQ, is more important than the IQ when it comes to work and the workplace. EQ is multidimensional intelligence is a multi-dimensional capacity that includes a wide range of abilities, including motivating oneself and persisting in the face of opposition. As we grow in our love relationship with God, we begin to empathize with God. We feel what God feels. At this point, we begin to sympathize with others. We see the image of God in others, and it affects how we view them and their circumstances. The Spirit prompts us, to an act of compassion that not only impacts their life, but oftentimes goes beyond that and starts to impact lives even around them. Sometimes it might even take a little suffering of our own to begin to help us be less self-absorbed and more compassionate. As we experience suffering and find ourselves in need, we then realize how wonderful it is when others help us. And as we receive that help, and we're appreciative of that help, we realize how important it is for others when we help them in their times of need. When you see a need and respond, it can often blossom into something powerful. Let me tell you a story. Bob Pierce, who is the founder of World Vision, was in Korea in 1950. He watched orphan children stand in these endless food lines waiting for food. One day as he was watching this, he watched a little child drop dead right in front of him in this food line because the child had to wait so long for food. His decision to do something at that moment was the defining moment in his life. He made a commitment to make sure that there would be food at the front of the line for every child that there would be food for every child. So he flew back and forth between the United States and Korea, raising awareness and raising funds. And on one trip, he met a girl named White Jade. She had been beaten and disowned because she decided to follow Christ, and her family didn't like that. And so they beat her, and then they disowned her. We forget that in certain cultures, this happens. When kids choose to follow Christ, they get disowned by their family. Sometimes a decision to follow Christ means you have to walk away from everything, something the rich young ruler couldn't do. All Bob had in his pocket when he met White Jade was $5, and so he gave it to her. But he promised that he would send her money every month, and this is the start of World Vision's child sponsorship program, sending money to a child every month to make sure that that child has the, the basic needs. We've been working through Compassion, Tammy and I, um, for years and years and years. And it's so wonderful to get a, a letter from our child every so often to tell us what she's doing, what's going on with her family, how it's impacting her. We just got a letter not too long ago saying, you know, if you drop a little bit of unexpected money to the family, it can really help them a lot. And so Tammy and I talked about it. And we said, yeah, let's do that. And we sent some money, hopefully, that's going to impact the family. And in a way that completely unexpected for them, but a very great blessing for them. Somewhere in the midst of being sad, and somewhere in the midst of being mad at our world 's problems, we have to look for a way to act. Amen. Amen. This is one of the big reasons. like I said, I'm so compassionate I'm so passionate about the ministry in Mexico. That's touched my heart. Each one of us is passionate about something. What are you passionate about? What is it that you look at? And it angers you or it excites you or it makes you want to say something needs to be done in this area. Every one of us has an issue that we look at and we say, enough, I want to do something in that area. Every one of us can make a little bit of an impact in some area. Where are you passionate? What moves you? Or what angers you so much to say, I do not like that and I want to do something that's going to help In that situation, there are thousands of opportunities. There is no excuse for not to do something somewhere, in some way. God causes us to respond because of our passion, the passion he puts in our hearts when we get that new heart. It is breaking your heart when you see that because it breaks God's heart. God causes us to respond this way because of his passion, becoming our passion. The question becomes, what can we do about it? There's some interesting research done about the giving patterns of people. Carnegie Mellon University developed a study to discover what motivates people to give. The researchers tested different versions of a request letter from Save the Children. The first version of the letter featured statistics about the great problem facing children in Africa. So they're told all the statistics, this is what's going on, these are the problems, Is how many kids are are suffering, and they give all the statistics, and that's what went into the letter and sent out to some people. The second letter talked about a seven-year-old girl named Rokia. Now, on average, people gave almost twice as much money in regards to the second letter about Rokia than they did about the letter of statistics. They found that statistics about human suffering actually makes people less charitable. It feeds the head, not the heart. They become dispassionate when thinking about the problem, but more passionate when they feel the problem. This can tell us that sometimes our minds can interfere with our hearts. So what does it mean to love God with all of our heart? It means that our hearts break for the things that God's heart breaks for, as I said before. It means what we are passionate about, that we want to see something done about that. Jesus said in Matthew six twenty one, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For our hearts to love God, we must treasure what God treasures. We must love what God loves. We must make decisions that honor God and are obedient to what he calls us to do. We must show compassion and generosity. Jesus often talked about money. He showed a link between loving God and the giving of God of our money. He talked about the more that we love God, the more we will give of our money. We need a heart check because too many people don't give as God gives to them or as God would have us to give. A heart check helps us to see that the money we make and receive is not just for our own personal use, but for God's kingdom. What you take in comes from the way you make a living. But giving it away is what makes your life. True joy is found in the giving end. True life is found in the giving end. We make money and pray to make more money so we can give more money away. That should be our desire, our goal. Most people have the opposite thinking. They think the more money I make, the more money I have to spend on myself. We live in a consumer society, right? That is about buying and owning and wanting and spending. The percentage of what people give away is very, very low. Very low. Even in churches, pretty low. God may say give a tithe, 10%, and then give other offerings as well. Other offerings would be above that 10%. The majority of people in our world are nowhere close to giving in this way. Most people barely give 2 to 3%. If God were to look at your giving, would he be pleased? Would he say that you are honoring him with your giving? I don't know about you, but I feel a lot better when I spend money in a way that blesses others than when I spend it on myself. I have to confess that I'm sure I spend too much money on myself, but I live in a consumerist society, and I've been influenced by that society, and it's not easy to break away from that trend of spending on ourselves, from keeping and hoarding and spending. It's really a focus problem. It really is an issue of stinginess versus generosity. We don't think of ourselves as stingy. We don't want to think of ourselves as stingy, right? That's a negative concept, right? But sometimes we have to ask ourselves the tough questions. And here is a powerful and important thought. If your focus is on your wants, enough is never enough. You never can have enough if you're focusing on your wants. And your heart will get smaller and smaller. If your focus is on the needs of others, you'll discover that you always have more than enough. It's about focusing on the things that have eternal impact and that bless others and that impact the lives of others. Now, I know the struggle comes from the reality of finances. You look at your finances and you try to figure out, how can I give 10% of what I make. It just doesn't make sense. I I don't know how I can do that, and how can I be generous and give even above that 10%? I look at my budget and I say, it doesn't work. The numbers don't work. But I guarantee you, in God's economy, it always works. Always works. Always works. So making a commitment to God, stepping out in faith, and then doing it and watching how God provides for you, and enough will always be enough when you give generously. When I first lived out on my own, I made $600 a month, and my rent was $300 a month. And so then I had to give $60, right? Because that's the 10%. So then I had to live on $240 a month. That's everything. Gas, food, Whatever. I had to live on $240 a month. And God provided. God provided time and time and time again. When we step out in financial faith, God will honor it. It's really about changing our thinking. Too often we think with a scarcity mentality. The more I give, the less I have. Does that make sense? Scarcity mentality. I have this number. The more I give, the less I have. Okay? Does that make sense? A lot of people think that way. I have this much. The more I give, the less I have. That's the scarcity mentality. But that is not biblical. The biblical way is the opposite way of thinking. The less you give, the less you have. And the more you give, the more you have. If you hang on to what you have, your heart will become smaller and smaller and you'll lose your soul in the process and you will not make an impact the way God wants you to. You will also miss out on so many wonderful opportunities to change lives and impact people. The biblical model is about the abundance mentality talked about by Jesus in Luke 6.38 where he says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with a measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Isn't that a wonderful verse? I'm going to read it one more time. I love this verse. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with a measure you use, it will be measured back to you. When we had Tyler, Tammy and I had made a decision. One of us was going to stay home. And Tammy decided it was going to be her since I already had a job. We'd moved to Colorado. I'd just taken a new pastorate, my first pastorate, I'd been ordained. So I was going to work and she was going to stay home. But that meant that we were going to live on one salary. We were going to live on a pastor's salary. And so to do that, we had to make choices. We had to make choices about what car we're going to drive, what kind of house we're going to live in. You know, we couldn't go out to meals very often. We had to make a lot of choices limited by our finances. And on top of that, we also said we will give 10%. And so whatever my salary was, you know, you just think, this is, I don't have this, I have this. And this is what we're going to live on. And God provided, God provided, God provided, God provided. God provided. And I could tell you how God has provided and I could tell you how, I could just tell you some amazing things, wonderful things. God is faithful. I'm a testimony to that. When you give generously, God will bless you in that. What I have gained far outweighs any sacrifices that we have made. When you give generously, God will bless you in better ways than money ever can, that possessions ever can. Don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can do. Hear that again. Don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can do. Put your money where your heart is, and if your heart is with God, then it will go to the things God cares about, and God will bless it, and God will bless you. Love God with all of your heart in all the ways you seek to give, and God will abound his blessings into your life, and he will provide for you. Let us pray.